Thank you, Ethan, for reading our scripture tonight and this morning. It was great to see him and his dad participate in worship this morning. We're very grateful for them and their addition here to the work. We pray that God will bless them. and We're thankful for their family. Thank you, Jared, for leading our singing. And uh, that song that we were singing a minute ago, at least I was trying to sing, and I thought about when Jared said what he did. First thought that came to my mind was, you're on your, you're on your own, pal. But uh, thankfully, our singing is directed to God. Well, to one another too, but ultimately to God. But we appreciate Jared and his great abilities, and we pray that God will continue to bless him and his family for many years to come. Tonight, we're talking about Elijah. And before we look at our lesson text tonight, I just want to say very quickly, thank you for being here tonight. I know that we've got a number of folks that are on the road traveling. It is a holiday week, and so many people are probably on vacation. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your dedication, your desire to come back and be with us, and I appreciate so much your willingness to come regularly. And it is a, it's a blessing to see you, and I hope and pray that you're blessed by being here. Tonight as we talk about Elijah, the prophet of God, Elijah really is an introduction, so to speak, to the prophets of God and what great men they were in the Old Testament era. And so we're going to be looking at Elijah in a moment, in a moment or two. Uh, before we do that, I want to just very quickly mention that we have been going through some of the great characters of Scripture. And we have been looking at some good people, and we've also taken note of some who maybe were not so good. And tonight we're going to read about Elijah and his showdown with King Ahab and the prophets of Baal. And so I want to call your attention to chapter 17 in the book of 1 Kings, because really this is the introduction to us of Elijah the prophet. It's interesting to me that when Jesus asked the disciples about what people were saying concerning his identity, that some likened him to Elijah. And you remember John the Baptist. One of the things that stands out in the life of John the Baptist was that he was uncompromising in his message. He was a bold declarer of God's truth, pointing the way, pointing people to the way of Christ, really preparing the hearts and minds of people to receive the Christ. And the Bible tells us that he came forth in the spirit and power of Elijah. Then in James chapter 5, James tells us that Elijah was a man of like passion, like us. I think sometimes it's easy for us to go back and look at some of the greats of Scripture. Individuals that stood tall in the saddle in their defense for God and their desire to do what's right. Maybe it's the case that sometimes we view them as somewhat of a superhuman. But that's not the case at all. They were ordinary people doing extraordinary work on behalf of God. And so tonight we look at Elijah. Elijah, according to chapter 17, the introduction there is he speaks of a famine that's to take place, that there would be no rain. Now the Bible tells us that there was no rain for a period of three years and six months. Ahab, of course, is on the throne. And you remember Ahab, had married a woman by the name of Jezebel. And that's recorded back in chapter 16. 
So when you begin to look at the life of Ahab and who Elijah stood before, you have to understand something about the nature of this king. He was a wicked man. He had aligned himself with a wicked wife. And I can't help but think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. So Jezebel was not the kind of helpmeet that would be supportive of following the Lord. And so in 1 Kings chapter 17, you remember Elijah was fed by the ravens. And then after the water brook dried up, the Lord directed him to the home of a widow in Zarephath. And by the way, Jesus makes mention of this in Luke chapter 4. And so this widow had a son, and uh, she had very little by way of food. She prepared something for the prophet Elijah, and then I believe that God provided for them. Her son died, and Elijah restored life to him through the hand of Almighty God. This woman came to understand something about the power of the one true living God. But then in chapter 18, we find Elijah and Ahab meeting up with one another. So if you would, look at chapter 18, verse 1. The text says, It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I'll send rain on the earth. And you can read about that in the latter part of chapter 18. And so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. There was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Obadiah, note if you would parenthetically, the text says that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Drop down if you would and note something about Obadiah. Down in verse 12, Obadiah said that he had feared the Lord from his youth. That says something about how young people can be servants of God and how they can be an influence for good in the world in which we live. And sometimes maybe it's the case that we don't recognize the significance of the influence of young people about us. I'm grateful for all the young people that are a part of the church here. And my prayer for you is that one day you'll meet the right kind of person, a Christian young man, Christian woman, and that you will marry, you'll serve God. Maybe you want to be an elder one day, a deacon. Maybe you want to be married to someone who can serve in that capacity. Might be the case that you want to serve as a Bible class teacher, whatever. But Obadiah was someone who trusted God, feared God, and the Bible tells us that he hid a hundred prophets from Ahab and Jezebel, fed them with bread and water. And so in verse 5, the Bible tells us that Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So basically Obadiah and Ahab split up in search of pasture land so that they might feed their animals. And then the Bible says in verse 7 that Obadiah was on his way and Elijah meets him. Elijah instructs him to go and to call Ahab. Well, Obadiah was somewhat fearful of doing that because his fear was that if he went and told Ahab that Elijah wanted to meet with him, that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon Ahab. He'd be caught away somewhere else. When King Ahab came to meet him, he'd be gone, and that would require, and th uh, thus that would uh, be bad news for him. In other words, 
thought he might be killed. And so, drop down and look at verse 14. Obadiah says, or rather, Elijah says, go tell your master, Elijah's here. Or rather, Obadiah, I'm sorry, says, go tell your master, Elijah's here, he'll kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. And so Obadiah goes to meet Ahab, and uh, then we find in verse 17 their meeting. And note, if you would, what it said in verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said, Is that you who trouble Israel? That's amazing to me. Ahab was the one that had been troubling the nation. He was an ungodly king aligned with an ungodly wife. She was a pagan idolater. And so he's calling Elijah a troublemaker. And so know what the text says. Elijah said, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house. He said, you're the ones that have troubled Israel. And how so? in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now, you remember in the history of Israel, before they went into the promised land, what was it God said about aligning themselves with the pagans of that land? They weren't to do that, were they? They weren't to marry those who were living in the land of Canaan. The reason was God said they will turn your hearts away from following me. And so in Judges chapter 2, you remember we read about, as we mentioned this morning in Bible class, we read about the faithfulness of Joshua, the elders who outlived him. But then another generation came on the scene that did not know the Lord, nor yet the great works which he had done in Israel. They forsook the Lord and they began serving the Baals, a Canaanite God, a male God, a God of fertility and rain. His counterpart was Asherah. Let me just pause here and make this observation. You know, we're living in somewhat of rare times in this country. There's a lot of unrest, a lot of problems going on in our nation, as you well know. Many have said, and I think it's well documented, that our nation has eroded greatly, morally speaking. And sadly, there are those to the left who are, doing, who are doing everything within their power to undermine the foundation of this nation. They are, as we have said before, anti-God, and they are anti-Bible. And so those of us who want to stand up for what's right, oftentimes we are viewed by them as being intolerant. It's amazing that they cry for tolerance and yet they are intolerant of those of us who want to stand for truth and righteousness. And why is that? Because we understand something about the God of heaven and the fact that God desires us to honor Him and to honor His Word. And if we do that, He'll bless us. If we don't do that, then we're going to pay a heavy price. And so in verse 19, Elijah said, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. 
the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sends for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. In verse 21, Elijah then says to the children of Israel, How long will you falter or halt between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If, Baal, if it's Baal, follow Him. But the people answered him not a word. So basically they were indecisive. That is the children of Israel at that point in time. They weren't all in for God, but they weren't all in for Baal worship. So Elijah is going to have a showdown with the prophets of Baal. I think there's a point that we ought to make here. Elijah was a voice for truth in his day, wasn't he? King Ahab is welding great influence over the nation, the northern kingdom. His wife also exercising tremendous influence and power as his wife. And here's Elijah standing for what's right and standing for truth and righteousness. So here's my question. As God's people today, are we not to be a voice for truth in a darkened world of sin? If we don't stand for truth, now think about this for a minute, if we don't stand for truth, who will? Didn't Paul say in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that the church is the pillar and ground of truth? So, if truth is going to be disseminated into the hearts and lives of people in this nation, who's going to do that? We have to, don't we? We have to be the ones who are willing to stand up even when the message that we bring, the stand that we take, is unpopular. It might be the case that we, like Elijah, find ourselves in the minority. And yet, we still have to take a stand, don't we? For example, in Ephesians chapter 5, do you remember what Paul said, verse 11? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but then listen to this, but rather reprove them. Don't you think it's time for those of us who are members of the body of Christ to stand up and to acknowledge the fact that we believe in the God of heaven? that we believe in the God of the Bible, that we believe that His Word is profitable for life? If we don't do it, who will? Our nation is in turmoil tonight. And there are a lot of folks that have cast their lot in politics. What we really need, more preachers and teachers of God's Word rather than politicians. Would you agree? We need some folks with backbone, courage, strength, a willingness to take a stand. As Paul would say to Timothy, preach the Word, even when it is unpopular, as Paul told Timothy. Now, in chapter 18, we find that Elijah instructs the prophets of Baal to make for themselves an altar, and they are to take a bullock, cut it in pieces, place that 
bullock on the altar, and then he would take a bullock, set up an altar. Matter of fact, he used his 12 stones signifying the nation of Israel. And he would place that bullock on that altar, but they were not to light that altar. Who would light it? Basically, the bottom line was, whatever sacrifice is consumed by the fire, then that's the real God. And so, drop down and note, if you would, what is said down in verse 26. They have prepared the altar. They put the bullock on the altar. And then they began to chant, to cry, to bail, to hear them. The Bible says, from morning even till noon. And they said, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. They leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he's busy. He's on a journey. Perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. And then verse 28 says, They cried aloud, cut themselves, as was their custom. Says something about pagan idolatry, doesn't it? And then the Bible says in verse 29, And it was so when midday was passed that they prophesied until the time of offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And now it's time for Elijah to show the one true living God. And so Elijah prepares the altar, the bullock's placed, and then he saturates the altar with water. I think really to reinforce the idea that when fire comes down from heaven, it's from God. And so that's exactly what occurred. And note if you would what is said. Note if you would verse 36. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned the hearts, their hearts back to you again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And then Elijah has the 450 prophets put to death. Now, you know, that says something about how Elijah was daring. Here was a man devoted to God, willing to take a stand. Now you come to chapter 19, and on the heels of all this great work, the Bible tells us that word comes to him from Jezebel. Remember what she said? Basically she said, I'm going to have your head on a platter. You're going to die because of what you've done. And so what did Elijah do? Fled for his life, didn't he? I mean, isn't that what we would do? So Elijah's on the run. And note, if you would, what is said. Then in verse 3, the text says, When Elijah saw, saw that, that is what Jezebel had said concerning his life, that he arose, ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Then he goes a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. 
And he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Amazingly, he's had this tremendous showdown on Mount Carmel, and now he's down in the valley, discouraged, despondent. We might say depressed, ready to die, to give up. I think there's a lesson there for us with regard to discouragement. It's very easy for us to get discouraged as Christians, isn't it? I mentioned a moment ago what's going on in our nation. When you look around, is it discouraging to you? When you see some of the things that are going on in our nation, does it cause discouragement in your mind? When you see people that are moving farther away from God? In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer there talks about the importance of keeping our eyes on the Lord. And you remember down in verse 3, he talked about the possibility of growing weary and being discouraged in your souls. Discouragement is a powerful tool used by the devil. And so here's Elijah all alone. And sometimes discouragement breeds on isolation, doesn't it? Elijah's alone, feels as if no one's about him. What about God? Was God with him? Sure he was. Now, drop down a note if you would. In verse 9, the Lord says to Elijah, what are you doing here? There are times in life when we need to examine ourselves, don't we? God is really asking the prophet to reflect upon his state at that point in time. Is it ever good for us to take personal inventory, to ask ourselves, what are we doing here? What are our plans? What are our goals, our aspirations? Now look at verse 10. Here's what Elijah said. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Do you ever feel like you are all alone? It's you against the world. Elijah felt that way. And I suspect that maybe he felt as if he had been a failure. You know, the 450 prophets, they've been put to death. That is, prophets of Baal. Jezebel seeks to take his life. He's isolated, alone, wondering whether or not he, his ministry has been successful. And so, he reminds God of his zeal, his service, his, de his desire to do what's right. Two times he talks about the fact that he has been zealous for the cause of God, that he's done everything within his power to serve him. And yet, look if you would at verse 18. In verse 18... God said to Elijah, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. What was God saying there? God was saying, look, there are still those who are soldiering on. There are still people who are allied, who are allied with my cause. 
who are faithful to me. I think the same is true today. You know, are there things that are going on in our brotherhood that are discouraging? Are there some who have left, as Jeremiah would say, the old paths in favor of that which might be called progressive in nature? Yes. Are there some who are content to align themselves with denominations in our world today? Well, again, yes. Let me tell you what, there are still a lot of good people in our brotherhood. They're going to stand and they will continue to stand. And why is that? Because of their faith in God, their faith in His Word, and they're not going to buckle under the pressures of this world or those who might want to move away from what we call New Testament Christianity. Now go back again. I want you to see something very quickly. Note if you would back in verse 11. Here's what God said. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. That's an interesting passage of Scripture. And you know, sometimes you hear people talking about the Lord spoke to them in a still, small voice. You ever heard that? That's not what, that's not what this is saying. There are some who have misapplied this passage. Elijah was the first in a great series of prophets. Samuel, of course, was a prophet. But we have the introduction of the prophets through Elijah. And Elijah, as well as the other prophets, Elisha would follow him. Elijah was a strong voice for God. And the prophets that would follow him, they too would be a strong voice voice for Almighty God, a small voice in a darkened world. Now, I want to direct your attention to the book of Proverbs, chapter 29. In Proverbs 29, Solomon said in the long ago, where there is no vision, some translations say, where there is no prophetic vision, the people perish. And the idea is that when God's Word is muzzled, when there is no voice for truth or voice from God, then the people perish. They abandon doing what is right. Look at Proverbs chapter 29 very quickly. In Proverbs 29, I want you to maybe underline what Solomon said. Where there is no revelation, where there is no prophetic vision, verse 18, people cast off restraint. What are you saying, Solomon? When God's Word is not thundering from the lips of those who preach and teach, then people begin to live rebellious lives. Anarchy, mayhem, follow. So the prophets 
they had the responsibility of calling people back to Almighty God. Now, you remember over in Jeremiah, look very quickly in Jeremiah chapter 6. I want you to see something in connection with this. Jeremiah is preaching on the eve of Babylonian captivity. In Jeremiah chapter 5, listen to what the prophet said in the long ago. He said, an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land or happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so, but what will you do in the end? Now, Jeremiah was a voice for God. He was a voice for truth. But there were false prophets that were saying, peace, peace. Jeremiah said, look, there is no peace. You're going into captivity. They had forgotten the Lord. They had forsaken Almighty God. They were about to go into 70 years of captivity. And here's Jeremiah, a voice for God in a darkened period of time, as was Ezekiel. And so down in verse 16, listen to what the prophet said. Stand in the way and see and ask for the old past wherein is the good way and walk in it. And then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Now look, we have no control over what people do with the Word of God, do we? Our job is to simply preach and teach the God. When we do that, we have fulfilled the charge. I can't control the response of people, but I can control whether or not I stand for God and take a stand for what's right. Very quickly, one other thing before we close. Over in 2 Kings chapter 2, the Bible talks about Elijah being, being taken or transported to heaven in a chariot with horses. Elijah was a great man of God. But God instructed him back in chapter 18 to anoint a fellow by the name of Elisha. Elijah would leave this world. Another man would stand in his place and be a voice for God. We are all, whether we like it or not, we are all replaceable, aren't we? I mean, you go back and look. For every Moses, there's a Joshua, isn't there? For every Elijah, there's an Elisha. For every Paul, there's a Timothy. So what are you saying? I'm saying we have the responsibility to do as much good as we can, as long as we can, wherever we can, as long as we can. And the time will come when we lay aside our earthly works and we go to be with God. But somebody will stand in our place and carry on. So Elijah transported to heaven. Elisha takes up the mantle and begins being a mouth for Almighty God. I think about this church, the history of this congregation. It goes back many, many years. Matter of fact, the Clark family had a part in laying the foundation for this work. Going back, what, to the 50s, early 60s? This building has been here since about 1977. If the Lord delays His coming, hopefully and prayerfully, the church here will be thriving 50 years from now. I won't be here. A lot of us won't be here. But the work will carry on. And some of you that are here tonight, much younger than I, if you're here, you can carry on the work. And you can be a light in a darkened world. And continue to be a mouth, a voice for truth in this community.
If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to become a part of the greatest institution that I know of. It's called the church. The church cost Jesus His blood. Jesus bought it, and the Bible tells us it belongs to Him. And here's the beauty of it. If you will obey the gospel, what does that mean? Well, you need to hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And then you put that belief into action. It's called an obedient faith. So you repent of your sins, you're baptized into Christ, God adds you to the church, and then you belong to Him. And when He comes again, He'll take you home to be with Him forevermore. There's a great day coming, a day when the Lord will come. When that is, I don't know, but I know He's coming. And when He comes... We will be together forevermore in a place called heaven. You want to go there? The Lord wants you there. If you're here tonight and you're not a member of the body of Christ, won't you obey the gospel? If you're not what you ought to be, if you're not faithful to the cause of Almighty God, maybe you need the prayers of the church. Listen, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. We're here to help you, not hurt you. Because we want you to be in heaven because God wants you to be in heaven. So if you have any need, whatever, please come as we stand and sing.